point. We're living in a, you know, a modern age of uh, the new psychedelic renaissance. And I thought, this is this is not real. This is uh, my gosh. I'm on the radio. People hear me. How we give to others and affect others' lives, and uh, what we do with it is important. Don't focus on the rest of the world. Just focus on your own life. And facts can't deal with emotions. It's, it's like apples and oranges. Bronze age and iron age. I all people who would age. You're not picking a president, you're actually <laughs> picking a roommate. Because you don't know what their story is. You don't know what pain they're dealing with. Always part of me wanted an audience. It's naive to think that human beings have stopped evolving. Uh, the people are purple. The, the world is a very rich place if you start exploring. Okay. Hello, everybody. Today, I'll, we'll be talking about to use as an indicator of language or the syntax of tools. And uh, this image right here that you, could, that you see, that's uh, some personal uh, arrowheads that I happen to have back back at home in the States. Um, so yeah, there you can just see some, some beautiful examples of, of some arrowheads here. These are all modern right here. Um, they're not ancient. Take a look at those. So how is to use spread? Well, cultural transmission in two words. Uh, you, you learn from other people, you learn from your conspecifics, from imitation, from, from people verbally telling you there's a number of ways that it can be culturally transmitted and cultural transmission means that the behavior does not have to be learned from scratch with every generation you can build on the works of others so you know i you don't have to relearn the wheel to use an old adage um, and so this goes in to a little bit with the role of niche construction in that people change their environments. And then in, in turn, the, those environments then select for some of those same traits. Uh, and tools are also present in other species, such as chimps, orangutans, dolphins, uh, which I'll mention a little bit. Um, and interesting thing, orangutans versus chimps. Chimps use more um, tool they use tools more for sustenance that can actually add to their survival whereas orangutans use tools more for comfort such as nest building oh, and uh right here here's some here's some uh tools used for flint snapping so you have a bopper right here with an ishi stick and there's ishi right here Ishii uh, helped help to you know spread this ancient Native American tool for making arrowheads. So an Ishii stick is something more for taking off smaller chip, chips. Kind of goes into the idea of bifacial thinning, which is a little more complex uh, uh, way to remove stone from the and or. If you don't want to use a easy stick, 
Uh, you could also use a deer antler. Um, you could get more power with the Ishi stick just because you can use more of your the power of your arm and dig in there instead of just your hand. So that's what I found at least. And here's some examples: edging, thinning, and shaping. Here's a, a blank thing turned into a hand axe. So here are some different primates with their tool using, uh, and you can see right here the preconditions, the intelligence, you know, higher for the gorillas are quite intelligent. Uh, here's extractive foraging, which is using tools more for getting, get, getting, extracting food, you know, maybe taking out some sort of, using a straw or something to extract some sort of liquid to drink or nest building that's more that's really just orangutans the pp morio wormby a belly um, and then the foraging the here the pan troglodytes homo would be the that would be the chimpanzees down here sepus macaca is more that's macaques use more foraging so less so a little simpler stuff. And up here are the gorillas. Um, and here's dolph dol bottlenose dolphin sponging in Shark Bay, Australia. And you can just see in the map here are locations of spongers and non-spongers, uh, and whether they have the M the mitochondrial DNA haplotype. Uh, I'm not going to go into all that. That's just an interesting little note here. But it, it is culturally transmitted. It's passed from along the matrial line uh, from mother to offspring. All, all offspring do it. And then eventually, as they get older, the, fem the females continue doing it, and the males stop. OK. So the cognitive basis uh, of human tool use. So if you go back to non-human primates, they can be very pragmatic with tool use, uh, and they often fail causal reasoning tests. So basically, you know, if you, you know, you get, you give them a tool to accomplish a certain task, and they're not going to really generalize that that tool as being used. For a certain thing that you know as soon as a new tool comes along they'll go and try that they're not gonna immediately generalize that tool um there's also executive control which comes in multiple parts there's inhibition which is basically being able to suppress your current drives whatever is immediately whatever you're immediately being urged to do you can control yourself auto queuing uh, so you know without some present external stimuli you're able to partake in a behavior there's foresight which is very important in tool use well, well yeah to form long-term goals and there's monitor ongoing action to be able to be present 
be be very aware of exactly what you're doing. So that that fourth one has been invert, observed in chimpanzees in the wild, and possibly the second auto cueing. Uh, the first one has been observed in chimpanzees and orangutans with training, and the third one, there's no uh, conclusive evidence, there's no evidence uh, as of now. Uh, one of the conclusions of this paper is that language is helpful, but it is not necessary with, you know, teaching and tool use. So mother chimps will often leave stones and nuts near an anvil, like an, an anvil just meaning some object that they will hit the nut, the rock on to crack the nut open. So they'll leave the tools near this anvil and they might even lend those tools to their offspring, but they're not using actual language in a, in a narrow sense, you know. They're just kind of leading their young to the, the tools. It's still a form of cultural learning. Just more simple, just a little simpler. Uh, so there's a couple of possibilities here. So there's the early advances in tool use may have been causal in language evolution through increased hand dexterity. So you can imagine that as basically as uh, as your hands become more dexterous with different tools, you know, you become more adept at using certain gestures. And this goes into the gesture first hypothesis, which I will discuss later. And you're better at gestures, and then eventually that is extrapolated into spoken language. Some of those same underlying cognitive structures. Uh, another possibility is that advanced tool use provides the ability to combine and integrate lower order elements where resources originally for structuring manual hierarchies were exempted for language. It could be a combination of the two, I suppose. Um, but basically it goes to the idea of the syntax of tools, of praxis, I should say. So because, because we were we were using tools, we had this ability to combine these physical elements together into certain order, certain order, into certain hierarchies, I should say. Interesting thing, aphasia patients often have trouble with tools. Uh, so there's two types of aphasia based on two areas of the brain. There's Broca's area there's Wernicke's area. So Broca's area is more associated with language production. It's all in the left hemisphere. And Wernicke's area is, is language comprehension. So Broca's aphasia would be you're unable to produce language, but you can still understand it. Wernicke's aphasia would be you can't, you're unable to understand language, but you can still speak. So basically you could you could you could speak in what appears to be real language, but there's no real actual semantic meaning in there. Versus Broca's aphasia, you 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 can't really speak. You just it it all just sounds like gibberish. You know, but you're, you 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 know what you you understand everything, 
but you're unable to express it. And so people with, especially brokers of Asia, will have trouble with using tools. And that shows that language and tool use both use, often use the same pathways in the brain, language production and tool use. Okay, time for a thought experiment. I want you to met, well, first of all, here's a, here's some more arrowheads in my collection right here. So right here is an ancient ax head right here. This is not ancient right in the middle. It's a, made with uh, electric tools. But this left one here is an ancient Native American ax head. Okay, found in around Iowa, that area. Um, and on the right here, you'll find an arrowhead, 7,500 to 5,000 BC, thereabouts, um, somewhere in the same region. Uh, yeah, so uh, 7,000 to 9,500 years ago. Okay, so thought experiment. I want you to think of some simple, simple tool, some simple action. How would you, how would you teach that? Yeah, some tool. How would you teach that to someone else? So imagine how to use, how to use a rock to crack open a nut. How to use a hammer to, to uh, drive a nail into a piece of wood. How would you te teach that? Okay, there's obviously some, there's obviously going to be some order. To how you teach it you know you you raise the hammer up first and you swing it down you know it's rather simple but there's an order there's a syntax now imagine a new tool slightly more complex it could be anything it could be you know it could be making an arrowhead like this one or this one you know there's a certain there's a certain there's a certain angle you have to hold your tool at you have to press into the rock at a, with a certain strength. Uh, you have to follow the steps in a certain order. You have to, you know, you have to get a general shape first, and more fine-tuning shaping later on. You have to have a hierarchy of different goals, shorter term and longer term. So, what do you want in the shorter term, and versus how should this object look in the longer term? And, and as you can imagine, as that tool, as the tools become more complex, the order needs to be more complex. Your language needs to be more complex. So, my idea is that these two ideas, tool use and language, are basically, you can almost say two sides of the same coin. So basically the idea is that in any instance where tool use is present, some form of language, however simple or complex, is also present. Here's some more arrowheads. Um, some of these are not original, like these ones around here. However, this uh, middle row, second from the left, this yellow one, 
that is an old one, and right below it, gray, is also quite old. Okay, so I've created a chart right here. You can see learned behavior, breaking a nut with a stone. Very simple process, you don't need any tools. The language I'll have required, minimal, you know, you just need social imitation. You can see someone doing it. You don't need to, you don't need any sort of verbal language. You don't, you don't even really need gestures. Just copy someone else's movements. It's a form of gesture, but there's no real intent necessary. Now, Oldowan, or Modwan, that was present around 2.6 million years ago. And that's more, that's some of the oldest stone tools that have been found. Uh, tools to make tools. That's pretty simple. You know, it's just, you take one rock and you break off some chunks of another and you basically create a somewhat sharpened, sharpened edge. That can be used to cut things. Um, pretty simple. And so the language level, level required, you could use, uh, yeah, increased imitation and proto-sign, proto-speech. Um, not full language as we have now would be necessary. Um, and so this is a gesture first hypothesis. Tools to make tools. So you need like another rock to hit against the, the, the rock that you're turning into a tool. Acheulean, uh, mode two, 1.7 million years ago. Again, tools to make tools, importance of striking accuracy. You need to be more precise. There's actual, there's actual points that you need to, that you need to break off to, sh to form. The order of the instruction is much more important. So there's more executive requ ex control required. Uh, it's often associated with over-imitation in proto-language, uh, cognitive, communicative, affective traits for apprenticeship in the late Acheulean. And then Lavalois, 300,000 years ago, Mode 3, Solutrian, Mode 4, 22,000 years ago. That's basically just going to be a little more complex than that. And much more complex shapes, you'll see. Uh, and then here's just a couple more examples of more complex tools. So making a sewer spirit, tools to make tools to make tools. So, you know, what, what do you need to make a, say a sword? Well, um, you need a forge. You would need some sort of hammer to hammer out the steel, the iron. Okay, well, what do you need to make, say that hammer? Okay, well, you need, uh, you need, you need, you need metal work, working equipment, you know, you need tools, little tools. You can just imagine, you can just imagine as the, as everything becomes more complex, tools, make tools, make tools, the form of recursion, you could say, um, more complex. And as you go down, there's a farther gap between the initial tool and the result. Okay, the observed pattern of activation and of overlap with language circuits suggests that tool making and language share a basis in more general human capacities for complex goal-directed action.
Okay, part of this I already kind of hit on a little bit. And here's some examples of, you know, latest Julian right here, earliest Julian, older one. As you can see right here, it's much, much simpler, just a, a basic point. Whereas here you have some bifacial thinning. Yeah, and right here's an example of how of multiple layers of goals within the hierarchy. You have some elementary percussion, multiple of those. Some bifacial thinning, thinning, thinning. A goal to do this, so you have a goal to do this, so you have a goal to do this. The grammars of action in human behavior and evolution. So two, this study was that uh, involved two repl tool replication experts with a piece of flint that either worked until it was exhausted were they shaped into a refined hand axe, something that you would see within the Acheulean period, that, that mode two that we talked about. So all skilled behavior and associated neural activity is organized into a hierarchy. And then there's the syntax of act or generalized schemata of action, which determine the sequence of specific act developed objective and generalizable methods uh, to define and quantify action grammars with their neural correlates from behavioral data and then there's detailed kinematics of hand actions to produce a tool vary from trial to trial there was an invariant hierarchical structure underpinning performance some rules only occurred in Acheulean sequences Tool making and the evolution of human culture and cognition. So, flake detachment within flake de detachment is formally recursive. You can you can imagine that you could have, you know, it's flake detachment all the way down, as you could say. So, you know, basically you it, you have like a you have a, a some flint blank right here, a piece, a stone. And you take a flake off with your Ishii stick, then you can take a flake out of that area, and you're farther and farther down theoretically. I mean, practically, you're going to stop at some point, but theoretically, you can just keep going, going away until that stone is there's nothing left of it. And lower Paleolithic technologies advance in hierarchical complexity with time. Uh, it takes several hours to master Oldowan flaking, but it may take hundreds of hours for Acheulean flaking. In fact, they've even attempted to, to teach animals such as bonobos Oldowan techniques. And I'm, I will mention this a little, a little later, a little bit, but basically the the, the bonobo was able to comprehend some of the general ideas of how to do it, but they kind of lack 
some of that some of that coordination that some of that ability to completely successfully create an old one tool an old one lacks variation of flank production more complex technology more variance all human technology could be on an exponential curve you could see um, so cumulative human culture we're building on each other on the prior advancements of others and all build and builds in a exponential way exponential growth uh, So what is hierarchical structure? There's superordinate representations of multiple subordinate events. Uh, you know, some are movement that you make with your tool, with your deer antler, is subordinate to some superordinate goal. Or I'm doing this in order to have some result in the future. You have to have you have to have some mental representation of your goal in the end. You know, it's not just, it's not as simple as basically, you know, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to take a rock and throw it at another rock and then it breaks apart. And maybe that's what you wanted to have happen. There might've been some level of representation there, but it's much more complex with say, let's say a Shulian, where you're taking small flakes away in order to shape it. So stimulus generalization, relational integration, temporal abstraction, goal abstraction, you know, you're, you have those goals and that are farther, that are some sometime in the future, farther temporally. And here's an example of exponential growth of our of our tools. You know, here's millions of years ago. But here's the older one. Cleaver variants. It's just another type of tool. Blades. The Valois. And here's some more, almost like a syntax tree here. You can see Oldowan flake production. You know, you have your raw materials that you need to get, and you're detaching some flakes. You know, change, change, your, change your grasp, rotate the object within your hand. And then it gets more complex here. You have your materials, primary flake detect, Detachment, you know, there's target selection here, and second order preparatory flake detachment. And that was just, well, that was just the flake production for Julian. Then there's a Julian, early Julian shaping, multiple sub goals, late Julian shaping. Roughing out sub goals position.
Okay. Stone tools, language, and the brain in human evolution. And here's some of the same pathways that are followed by both language and tools. So all the one tapping, it's associated with dorsal stream structures like the visuomotor grasp coordination, uh, such as the anterior and inferior parietal lobe and ventral premotor cor cortex. Uh, it's consistent with behavioral evidence of sensory motor and manipulative complexity, concrete simplicity, and lower hierarchical depth of all the one action. As I said before, bonobos understand the basic action plan, uh, but uh, they struggle with some perceptual motor coordination and affordance detection, so they can't really see the potential for making some tool in the future. So. The latest Julian also uses the same dorsal stream structures, but with uh, more re regions such as the pars triangularis. So basically the abstract representation of in hierarchical organization. Okay, so, you know, building on what I said before, you know, they can actually represent these actions internally to plan for the future uh, their goals what needs to be achieved for that goal and in, there's more inferior frontal gyrus uh, in Melia Shulian uh, not from increased manipulative complexity but from higher order behavioral and cognitive control constructs of the right hemisphere Okay, potential communication. So there's the proto-sign system of intentional manual gestures, uh, which provided a scaffold for later usage of proto-speech. You know, that's the, the gesture-first hypothesis, in a sense. There's a mirror system hypothesis, which is the, that the observer must infer goals with pantomime but not with praxis, which is directly tied to observable instrumental goals. Toolmaking syntax has external physical constraints, but not internal rules. Uh, so this is an argument against the idea that toolmaking and language share the same, the same cognitive bases. It's quite saying, you know, um, With toolmaking syntax, you know, you have actual physical constraints on what you can and can't do. Versus with language syntax, it's all internal rules, you know, culturally accumulated. But the thing is about, even though they are physical constraints within the, the, the toolmaking syntax, You know, you can imagine a situation in which there is more affordance for some of these constraints. You know, you can depending depending on the situation, you can have less or more constraints. But the the, the idea is theoretically 
some of these, you know, recursive uh, chipping away at the stone, recursive flint napping, thinning could go on forever. Um, there's the technological pedagogy uh, hypothesis, which is uh, observation of complex practice can induce high-level goal inference. So um, basically, you're observing some of this tool making, and you know you can, and because because of this, you're seeing, you're, you're able to uh, you know in, you know in, in, you're able to see future goals, learning. Um, Later, Schulian shows activation of the rostral interior medial prefrontal cortex, which is which is used for the attribution of intentions, um, complex, complex action understanding, construction of shared pragmatic school skills, and teleological understanding. Which is more evidence in support of the same underlying structures for language and tools. Um, and there is a debate over whether tool-making, um, the sharing of abstract syntactical structures and semantic content. The, que the question is, are, are these syntactical structures abstract? Or is it all basically physical right there? Same with, with semantics. Okay, so the cognitive demands of lower Paleolithic toolmaking. So outcome prediction and strategic appropriateness about planned actions of partially completed tools. Uh, frequency of correct strategic judgments was predictive of success in Acheulean, but not Oldowan toolmaking. Okay. So, more about correct judgments, you know, judgment and planning is more important within Acheulean. Novice toolmakers use executive function uh, of function. Uh, a function that works of perspective simulation to make correct strategic judgments. The ability to make these judgments predicted success with hand axes, but not with simple flake production. Okay, and that just goes to show, you know, that as I said earlier, uh, there is more executive function. Uh, within the Acheulean mode two, which is hand axes were, is something very uh, important within that era. It's possible to measure the differential cognitive control demands of simple lower Paleolithic technologies, and you can't solve causation between technology cognitive and neuroanatomical changes in human evolution. But you can allow direct comparison of cognitive control demands of archaeologically observable 
behaviors. That's what they did there. Had people replicating some of these ancient strategies to make similar tools. The evolutionary neuroscience of tool making. So simple tool, stone tool making supported by mo is supported by a mosaic of primitive and derived parietal frontal perceptual motor systems. Okay, so sensory motor perceptual. Uh, basically the ability to have communication between what you're doing, what you're perceiving. Naive toolmakers have no activation uh, in the prefrontal executive cortices associated with strategic action planning or an inferior parietal cortex, uh, which is that to play a role in representation of everyday tool use skills, which is different from some of the results of it with expert toolmakers. Which is interesting. Which which goes to show the way that your that your brain is being activated, depending on your level of of expertise. And uniquely, human human capacities for sensory motor adaptation and affordance perception, rather than abstract conceptualization and planning, were central factors in the initial stages of human technological evolution. Okay, the idea is that the conceptualization and planning became more important later on, which can be seen more in the Ashulian period after Old Elan, where it was more the sensory motor. Uh, acquisition of the necessary sensory motor capabilities rather than executive capacities for strategic planning represents the critical bottleneck in the initial development of complex tool use and tool making abilities. Social context necessary to support prolonged perceptual motor skill acquisition in early hominid tool makers. Okay, and here you can see the evolution of the human brain, got chimpanzees, humans, more pathways evolved between the how and what pathways here. Um, and right here is an interesting piece, um, the learning niche. Um, so you can imagine with individual practice, with your bodily imitation object, object reenactment in state emulation you know you're practicing doing something you're practicing making an arrowhead and then there's social resources that give feedback and maybe they help you out doing something you learn you learn more about the goal the end goal the you know the cause the cause between what between what you just did and you know basically why something happened why why this flint chipped 
in a certain way. I didn't know before, but now I know. And more social researches, resources um, were uh, you're being observed. Um, you're given more instruction, and then you practice more. Right here, niche construction. Gonna affect more about how you react with your environment. Then right here in the anatomy, the dorsal stream, which is more on the movement processing, and then ventral stream, which is object processing. And they're going hand in hand right here. Okay. So there's here there's a lot of importance in the role in the evolutionary neuroscience of cumulative culture. There's a role of high fidelity production, whether it's manual, vocal, or artifact mediated, in grounding semantic meanings, tokens, anchor meaning, and allow discrete recombination. So you can imagine some of these, you know, artifact mediated, some of these uh, tools being. Yeah, tools or the process to making a tool being a token that can be re that can be combined and given meaning based on its goal. And so the concrete tokenization critical is critical in the transition from broadly semantic to truly symbolic thought. And it all started with tools. It started with the physical, and then some of those same underlying structures or accepted, or basically given a new evolutionary purpose to symbolic thought. If I wanted to think of a, of a good analogy, you know, you could think of the idea of a metaphor when something is something else within literature. So, you know, you, or, you, or, or simile, you, you, you compare, you compare uh, the, this, you, you compare a great idea that you had to some lion. Well, in order to compare it to the lion, you had to have that physical object first, that physical lion, and then later you're able to mentalize it imagine it in your head as that line. And then the technological niche, the role of object manipulation and modification indicated by evolutionary neuroscience. Goes into cumulative culture in that you know, we, we build on our own, we build on our technologies within society. Okay. Manual praxis, praxis in stone tool manufacture and the implications for language evolution. As I said before, praxis, praxis is basically, you know, tool use. Strong, there's a strong association between Broca's area and the functions uh, related to action recognition 
and manual praxis in, praxis in human and non-human primates. As I said before, Broca's area is associated with language production. So there's a strong relationship between that language production area of the brain and praxis. Uh, Broca's area may be polymodal processing, uh, processing hub originally adapted uh, to action observation of oral, facial, and manual systems, and later accepted. As I said, accepted is given a new evolutionary purpose for language. So basically, it was orig originally used for observing action actions um, of, of different physical systems and assigning hierarchy to them, arranging, arranging them internally in a mental representation. And then that, you can imagine that, that basis for, a, for mental representation became the beginnings of language. And there's clear but limited evidence of partially overlapping networks, uh, strongly suggesting that manual practice and language share a foundation in human capacities for complex goal-directed action, and are likely to have evolved in a mutually reinforcing way. So basically, was, which came first, tool use or language? Or, did, or both came from some underlying structure that, and they're kind of influencing each other and their evolution. Okay. Inherited. Live in the in the canopy. It's quite easy to live in the canopy if you're a small organism, but once you start getting larger, with relegation our closest relatives, then you not only then you have to be. Uh, much more, and it seems likely that we evolved our, that they they evolved their large brains, which we which we uh, inherited, in order to be able to travel more safely around the forest canopy, moving between trees, several branches, things like orangutans are marvelous at actually being very careful. Really heavy creatures. Uh, and so my, my theory is that we evolved our, uh, our large brains or the great apes which, which were inherited in order to uh, live better through the trees. And then once they had those brains, they've also used them to design the first wooden tools. Uh, and all great apes make amazing nests, which they use by cleverly bending all the branches of their tree out of the trees and breaking them in set ways they know about the mechanics of trees and, and the mechanics of trees more than most people do. And that's given them a good night's sleep and allowed them to sort of evolve brains because they had such a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. that's, in, that's interesting. So, a lady called Jill Pluett and found that only about 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Of course, before that, we, we had the idea that 
but chimpanzees were sort of killing animals using that sort of technique, using that sort of technique. So it was uh, wished to all the colleges to look to see that that what we used to think of as particularly human uh, is something that the is also the apes did as well. The one thing we do 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 is that we make stone tools to make wooden tools. It's eggs. They go break a bit of branch off and then make the then dip it and they have the tool. We, what we have to make a, a wooden tool is to make a stone tool first and then use that stone tool to carve our wooden tools. It's a rather more complex process. We can make better tools, but that shows that we have to have a much more big generation. I want to make a wooden tool, so first of all, I've got to make this other tool, and then I can use that tool to make the wooden tool. So it's, it's sort of twice as complex, really, uh, but it produces much better tools. That's the, the advantage over, uh, over the apes. Okay. So what I just showed you was my interview with Roland Enos that I did a while back. And uh, he was talking about, you know, you know, making tools to make better tools um, is the most important part of that. Yeah, the mechanics of wood is another thing where he studies a lot. Um, but basically we, we make tools, you know, as he says right here, um, I want to make a tool. So first of all, I've got to make this other tool and then I can use that tool to make the wooden tool. So there is a greater investment placed in it, but you get better results. Okay, what's the conclusion? So the, the results vary for both experts and novices in the experiments uh, based on you know, the cognitive processes uh, used for making Acheulean and Oldowan tools, although it is it is quite clear that there's more, for example, executive processing, more hierarchical structure within Acheulean toolmaking. There is an underlying structure. Um, and I think it's important to go back to, you know, what is tool use? And it could be defined as the capacity to externalize one's representations and start using them as tools in the same way as humans use language as a tool. Humans use language in a general and systematic way for getting messages across and to reach desired goals. That is, they use language as a means to an end. They're both a means to an end. You could say that's a general definition that works for both of them. One interesting question is, which came first, language or tools? I asked this question before. Okay, could it be that language came first or tool? Um, I would, it appears that from the evidence that tools likely came first based on the fact that something like Broca's area is also is used for both 
but that's not confirmed. Um, there's underlying structures that work for both. They're both are organized in a hierarchical system. Was it our ability to use tools that, for example, increased our hand dexterity, that, that made it easier to do gestures, that then became language? Or was it more, we had the ability, ability to use language, and then we're able to share our experiences with others and show how to use various tools, and not just tools, but just teach other people how to do anything. And some more research is necessary to have, anything to, to have a concrete answer on that. But it does seem to be quite, to be rather clear that they do share similar underlying structures. And this has been shown across many fields, neuroscience, linguistics, anthropology, archaeology. And here's more, some additional researches, resources to look more into it. Some references. Okay.